Hello, welcome to episode three of What's True for Everybody. It is a beautiful 29 degree evening in Fort Collins, Colorado. I am sitting in my office with the window open, looking out at some Christmas lights in my yard and some of my neighbor's yards. And I told you last time that uh, evening isn't usually my prime time for like thinking. And <laughs> it's about eight o'clock, and that's still true. But this is turning into like a three-part mini-series, and so I wanted to get this episode in before I posted the other two so I could get them in together, and uh, my wife has been working tonight, and so I had our kids, and I got to grill in the snow flurries, which I don't know why, but grilling in snow is always more fun for me, and then played a game with the kids and put them to bed, and usually when I have the kids by myself, I'll lay with one for a few minutes and then go lay with the other one. But every once in a while, they'll ask if all the three of us can just lay together in one of their beds and they'll make like a dad sandwich and we'll all cuddle together together, and it's about the best thing ever. And so that's what I got to do tonight. And uh, now I'm ready to go. And so I started with episodes one talking about why, why I wanted to do this podcast and ended up talking about God calling Abram in, in Genesis chapter 12. And that led to me thinking, okay, we have to take this a level deeper and talk about the sacred space between here and there. So that's what we did in episode two. And I got done with that episode. And the next day I thought, well, we can't end there. We can't end in the wilderness. We have to take this somewhere else. And so that's what we're going to do here in episode three. And I want to talk about the other side. That's the title of this one, the other side. And to get into it, a couple updates on what I said last time. First, our car. I told you that Corey's car broke while she was driving it. The steering just locked up and she couldn't steer. And so we took it to one place. They couldn't fix it. We had it towed to another place. They told us what it would cost to fix it. We said, ah, no, thank you. And we decided to look for something else. And so we have a friend who is a car dealer and I texted him the day after we heard from the second car place on what it would cost to fix and just said, uh, can you help us? And he texted back and said, what are you looking for? What kind of car? What do you, what's your price range? And so we told him and he said, let me check my inventory. I'll, I'll get back with you tomorrow. He texted the next morning and he said, uh, I think I have it, like what you're looking for. It's, it's what you want. It's within your price range. It's actually a little bit lower than your price range, which is always good. And then he has this line. He said, I don't want to sound like an old car salesman, but this one isn't going to last long, <laughs> which sounds exactly like an old car salesman. Uh, but he's legit. We totally trust him. And so we knew this was a good deal. And so that day, Corey and I went and looked at the car. We test drove it. We liked it. And uh, the day after that, we went back and we picked it up and we drove it home. And we were on the other side now of the car saga. We're on the other side. And so driving the car home from the dealership, there was this feeling of, okay, we're glad that's done. (laughs) We're glad we don't have to be looking for cars anymore. There was, we felt appreciative of the help we were given. And uh, because if we were to do this on our own, 
it, it wouldn't have gone very well. And we were we ha- were happy because it didn't take longer. We were down to one car, which we realized isn't the worst thing in the world, but we were down to one car for, I don't know, five or six days, and it could have easily taken much longer than that. And so we were happy that it didn't take longer. We left with this excitement uh, of something new, even though it's not very new at all. It's actually an old car with a lot of miles on it. But uh, for us, it's new. And so there's this excitement. There was this happiness. There was this appreciativeness. There was this gladness because we were on the other side. Next story. I told you about the 13-year-old boy in the next neighborhood who was missing for about 24 hours. And I told you that he was found and, and he was fine. And the next morning after I recorded that episode, we got an email from the master email list of for our neighborhood and the next neighborhood where this 13-year-old boy lives. And the email was from the boy's parents. And it was to everyone in these two neighborhoods. And uh, in the email, it says this, most of you know by now that our son was found on Sunday afternoon. We wanted to let everyone know that he is okay. He's okay. The parents now are on the other side of looking for their 13-year-old son. And then towards the end of the email, the parents say this, We wanted to personally thank everyone that stepped up immediately and took action last Sunday, reached out in thoughts and prayers, and shared posts on social media. The amount of unconditional support was immense. None of you know how much it meant to our family to see how many people cared and the outpouring of love. Thank you. And I told you that from my perspective, it was something in this community that I hadn't seen before with, with people looking and people praying in these Facebook groups and all of this kind of stuff. And, and apparently the parents felt the same way. And so they are now on the other side of this and they have these feelings of, it's okay. He's okay. We just want you to know he's okay. They have this feeling of thankfulness, of gratefulness, of that they've received some love and some grace of being cared for. It's, I bet it's like they can breathe again. Maybe it's like they can taste food again. Maybe it's like they can enjoy the beauty of the world again because they're on the other side. So I want to talk about the other side. And to do this, uh, I want to talk about a story that's found in Joshua, which is a book in the Old Testament, a story that's found in chapters 3 and 4. Then I want to ask you a question And then I want to talk about something a mom said to me a few days before her son's funeral. So first, uh, there's a story in Joshua chapters 3 and 4. And actually, before we get to the story, we have to start before the story and point out that from very early on in the Bible, way back in Genesis, God had been promising a land to his people the land we now know as Israel. And it starts with this promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, who at that point was known as Abram. And God says this to Abram, to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, which is another way of saying the land of Israel. Then in Genesis chapter 26, God says this to Isaac, who was Abraham's son. He says, Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. 
For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. So he's made this promise to Abraham. He's now made this promise to Abraham's son Isaac. Then in Genesis chapter 28, God makes this promise to Jacob, who is Isaac's son and is Abraham's grandson. This is now the third generation of promises. God says this in Genesis 28. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. Interesting. Back to this land? Where are they going? Why are they leaving it? He says, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And if you've ever seen Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, you know where they're going. Uh, Jacob's son, or one of Jacob's son, Joseph, who is Abraham's great-grandson, Isaac's grandson, Jacob's son, uh, Joseph gets sold to the Egyptians by his very rude brothers. You shouldn't do that. Which, by the way, ends up in God's people being slaves in Egypt for 430 years. Then you have the Exodus when God frees and delivers his people from slavery in Egypt and they cross the Red Sea. They then are in the wilderness for 40 years, which we talked a little bit about in the last episode. And so now we're what, seven or eight generations after God first promised the land of Israel to Abraham? And that's what brings us to Joshua chapters three and four. God's people, the Israelites, they've gone through the wilderness. They're now steps away from entering this land God promised all those hundreds of years ago. And by the way, they're walking with something called the Ark of the Covenant. And and we'll get to the importance of the Ark of the Covenant here in a few minutes. Uh, But the Ark of the Covenant, it it was this portable chest It was made of acacia wood. Uh, It was about 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, 27 inches high. And for some reason, I'm moving my hands to the dimensions like you can see them. Uh, It it had poles that passed through the rings on its sides, which made it easier to carry. It took, I believe, at least four people to carry it at a time. And so the Israelites, they carried this ark through the wilderness and It had things in it like the tablets of the Ten Commandments. It had a pot of manna, which was the food God provided while they were in the wilderness. So it has some of the most important objects, belongings of the Israelites. So so the Ark of the Covenant maybe was the most sacred object the Israelites had in the wilderness. That's important to keep in mind. Anyway, the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant as their steps away from entering this land God promised, they go ahead of the rest of the people to the edge of the Jordan River, which was the eastern border of the land of Israel. And they go and they stand in the river with this ark, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, And we're told the river at this point is at flood stage, but as soon as the priest's feet touch the water's edge, the water stops flowing and it piles up, we're told, a great distance away. 
So all the people now cross over the river on dry ground while this Ark of the Covenant and the priests who are holding it are standing in the middle of the Jordan River. Then it's time for the Ark of the Covenant, which, by the way, is still in the middle of the Jordan River after all those people pass by, which, by the way, is still dry ground. And the Ark of the Covenant enters the Promised Land. And at this point in Joshua chapter 4, verses 10 to 11, it says this, The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the Ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. So now the Ark of the Covenant is on the other side. And as soon as the priests and the Ark are out of the Jordan River, the waters returned to their place and went back to flood stage and acted like this bizarre event never happened to it before. But the Israelites and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord are now on the other side. Why does this matter? Here's why. At the time, the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God. It symbolized the presence of God. Uh, By the way, later, God being with us or the presence of God will be symbolized by something or better yet, someone else. We'll talk about that in the next episode. Uh, But the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God back in Exodus chapter 25, when God is giving his people instructions on how to make this Ark. He says, there I will meet with you. That's where I'm going to meet with you at, at the Ark. That's where my presence is going to be, which means this now is a symbol that God is with his people in the land he had promised them. After all this time, they are now in the land God has promised them, and God is with them. How do you feel if you're God's people right now? How do you feel? I mean, I imagine you'd feel like there'd be a sense of, okay, we're here. (laughs) We're on the other side. Everything's going to be okay. I wasn't sure for a while, but everything's going to be okay. I assume there'd be a feeling of, man, I'm glad the wilderness is done. (laughs) I'm glad we weren't in the wilderness longer, even though... That was a long time, and I wish we weren't there for that long. I bet there was a sense of appreciativeness, of God's help, of thankfulness, of gratefulness, of, okay, we've just received this love and this grace from God. Maybe it was like they could breathe again, or they could taste food again, or they could enjoy the beauty of the world again. Maybe it was like they were home. Now, let's be clear, they're not done. There's still work to do. Because if you continue to read the story, that there are groups of people, they have to politely, or not so politely, ask to leave this land so they can settle in this land. Uh, Which means you don't get to the other side of something, and then all of a sudden life is perfect, and there's no other work to be done, and there's no more unexpected turns. For instance, the morning after we brought our car home, our new used car home, Uh, We noticed a crack in the windshield, which either we didn't notice at the car dealership, which I think is the less likely option, or on the way home, unbeknownst to us, a stone hit our windshield and cracked it, and we found it the next morning. (laughs) The unexpected turns aren't done just because you're on the other side of something. But in a way, being on the other side of the wilderness is like a whole new, fresh, beautiful start. And how much better when you know God is with you? 
Question. What have you made it through? What have you made it through? Because we've all made it through something. I mean, we've all come out on the other side of something. That is true for everybody. In one way or another, we've all experienced this. It was difficult. And, and you wished it wouldn't have happened that way, but it did. And you came out on the other side alive and actually fine. You were fine over time. And maybe you even learned some things. Or you grew in wisdom or patience or trust. Or, or you had this renewed gratefulness that you didn't want to let go of. It's like you were given a new set of eyes through whatever this experience was. And looking back... Now you can see how God was with you through it all. You couldn't see it at the time, but now you can. And now you can see how he's with you now on the other side. It's like, it's like he crossed the Jordan River with you on dry ground. And maybe actually things are, like, are so good now and you weren't expecting anything close to this, to, close to how good they are. So now you almost feel guilty for having so much joy and peace. And, and you're asking, do I even deserve to feel like this because it's been so long the answer, by the way, is, is yes, you do. Go with it. You do deserve to feel this way. Uh, like, do you remember the first time your baby son or daughter got sick and you felt totally inept to k- take care of this baby? Like, what do I do? This fever, how, how, how high is too high? Wait, if they're this old, the fever can be this high. If this, they're this old, the fever can be this high. Wait, you want me to put the thermometer where? Wait, why isn't, why isn't the baby taking this Pedialyte. What, what do I do? And so you call the nurse like three or four times within a 45 minute span. And now a couple weeks later, they're on the other side of this and there's this, oh, okay, they're okay. They're healthy. Thank you, God. <laughs> Thanks for your help on that one. Uh, or maybe at one point you got burned real bad by a friend or by a group of friends and you felt like for a long time, you couldn't trust anyone, and that's actually how you lived for a while. And now you're on the other side of that. You've healed, you've forgiven, you've done whatever it is you needed to do, and now it's like you have the best friends in the world, you have the best small group in the world, you have the best coworkers in the world, whatever it is, and you're on the other side, and uh, you've learned some things from that. Okay, maybe I had a part to play in that. Or okay, maybe that taught me how to forgive or how to move on or whatever it is, you're on the other side. Or maybe you've been through a divorce. It was painful. Maybe, maybe you did something to uh, help that happen. Maybe some, your spouse did something to help it end that way. Whatever it is, uh, you ended up feeling so alone. It's like your soul was missing this huge piece. And, and now it's years later. And maybe you're remarried. Maybe you're not remarried. But you're actually happy again. You're actually okay with yourself again. You're actually okay being alone. You're actually okay being with someone else again. You're on the other side of it. Maybe there was a time when you could barely make ends meet. You didn't know how you're going to pay the rent or mortgage next month. You didn't know how you're going to put gas in your car. You you didn't know where you're going to get groceries. It's like it's like you exhausted every place that would hand you food that you could, and now it's like where do I turn to next? And now, months, years later, you're in this place where you're able to give away more than you ever could have imagined. It's like, it's fun. 
because you know what it's like to be in need. And now you're on the other side of that. And now it's like you're looking for other people who are in need and you're helping them. Or maybe you, you tried your best at something you absolutely love and it wasn't good enough. You didn't make it. You failed. You got let go. You got criticized bad. It didn't meet your standards for yourself. And you started to ask the question, do I have what it takes for this? I love it. I've been given this desire to do this, but do I actually have what it takes? And so you went through that wilderness, through that season of actual like self-doubt. And you fought through it and you worked hard. And now you're thriving. You're on the other side. And actually, looking back on that, that season actually helped you to get where you are now. What is it you've made it through? Because you've made it through something. That's true for everybody. Now, uh, for a a word here, I want to give you a word. A few months ago, I did a funeral for a 32-year-old man who committed suicide. Just like an unimaginable situation. And a couple days after this man committed suicide, and a couple days before his funeral, I sat across the table from his parents, who I had never met before. And we talked about their son. We talked about who he was. We talked about what he loved to do. We talked about what they're going to miss. We talked about what they want for the service, what they wanted to be said. Uh, and they, I mean, they were heartbroken. They were, they were tears and uh, devastation and like, why, what is going, how did this happen? And just, you can't imagine being in that situation and it's awful. Uh, But at the same time, they were so full of love and they were so full of grace and they were so full of patience and uh, they were extremely kind to me. And at one point, the mom looks at me and she says, you know, there's hope on the other side. That's what she said. (laughs) There's hope on the other side. Just a couple days. She's like, she's, she's just at the beginning of the grieving process. She's barely stepped into it. And what wisdom, what maturity, even in the midst of devastation, what that takes to say, you know what? There's hope on the other side. And it wasn't like meaningless words. It was heartfelt. There's hope on the other side. Hope is this belief that things can and will be different, that things can and will get better, that things can and will be more like how they're supposed to be. There's hope on the other side. And in some ways for you in your life, I imagine this hope has been realized and you're on the other side of some things. Like you've seen the hope lived out. Things are different. Things are better. And in other ways, I imagine in your life, You're still hanging on to this hope, but you aren't yet on the other side. You're still in the wilderness, but you believe, you know what? I've seen enough to know there's hope on the other side. I don't know what the other side looks like totally here in this situation, but there's hope on the other side. And if you're still in the wilderness somewhere, if you're not on the other side of something yet, I want to read a verse to you that a good friend of mine texted to me the other day. This is from Exodus chapter 23. It's verse 
20, God says this to his people. He says, see, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. God is going to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place that he has prepared. That's a promise. And pretty soon we get to celebrate the birth of the embodiment of promise, the embodiment of hope, the embodiment of God with us. So that's what we'll talk about next. But for right now, my friends, may you experience what it's be, what it is like to be on the other side. May you be given the new set of eyes and, and be able to say, it's okay. It's okay. And have a spirit of thankfulness and gratefulness and the realization that you've received love and you've received grace and you've been cared for. May you be able to breathe again and taste food again and enjoy the beauty of the world again. May you hold on to hope and may you experience the other side. Well, that is episode three of what's true for everybody. If you're interested in asking a question or if this brought up some insight you want to share, uh, my Twitter handle is Matt C. Boyle, M-A-T-T-C, as in Christopher, B-O-Y-L-E. And if this has been helpful and true for you, then chances are it's true for somebody else. So feel free to pass this along. Much love.